Good morning. Welcome to After the Gig. Today on the show, I have Mr. Sam Kasserer. Sam was the producer slash engineer on the Dan Mills EP Small Talk and Saturdays that I played drums on, uh, that I'm very proud of the work that I personally did on that record and also uh, super happy with the way those songs came out. It was fantastic. Um, also, Sam plays keyboards for the lovely Josh Ritter. So he's kind of a big deal. Uh, I really enjoyed having this conversation with him. It, it, it was great. Been wanting to talk to him for a while. We tried to set it up for, for a fair amount of time, and it finally worked out. So really, really glad to bring this to you guys. Uh, as always, you can always email into the show at afterthegigpod at gmail.com. And uh, there's links in the description and all that good stuff. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the great Sam Casserer. Dancing on the porch to an old familiar song. Yeah, my baby knows the way around the radio. Dancing on the porch to an old familiar song. And now she's brushing out her hair. Do you like you in this song? Hey! Yo, man. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. Sounds great. Looks great. You look great. <laughs> I have a uh, mic in front of me that you can't see, which is the very first time that I've done this. But so far, it seems like it's working really well. What are you What are you using? Uh, it's like a um, Sennheiser Dynamic. Yeah. I thought that might be better than a condenser. I don't know. There's some construction going on like 500 yards away from me, so... Are you in, are you in Medford now or are you in Maine? I'm in Medford, yeah. Medford. Cool. This is like this is my little mixing editing room here and where I live. Yeah. Could you just hear I I keep getting I got to turn my computer text ping off because it's really distracting. You can't hear that oh. on your end there, right? No, I didn't. It's a tight ship I run here. <laughs> <laughs> um if you can't tell, uh, you know, my voice i i have covid so oh really yeah it's a good i mean thing we, i guess it's a good thing we didn't I'm, do this in person <laughs> I, yeah totally how are you feeling i feel fine now it, i um i had the positive test about uh i want to say five or six days ago so technically uh -huh. i'm like outside the five five day window where i right. can like go be out in the world again but i don't yeah. agree i don't agree with the five day thing go back to work it's yeah. not it's not um you know now having have had it it's like the symptoms space you know everyone's different but the symptoms like space out like yesterday yeah. like two days ago i thought i was totally fine and then yesterday i started getting like weird headaches and today i feel great uh, i just still have the the voice really thing. yeah i mean i it's like it just seems like everyone is just getting it now. I'm, I'm honestly more surprised that I haven't gotten yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, most I mean, pe most people I talk to are like, "How how do I not have it?" It's like I feel like it's yeah. just closing in on me. And you know, uh, it's crazy. especially with the kid in schools and stuff. It's like, wow, I'm just surprised. How, how, old really... are you, how old are your kids? I have one nine year old daughter. You have one nine year old daughter. For some yeah. reason, I thought you had two kids. Yeah, so third grade, it's like. I mean, she she has kids being sent home like every day because they test positive. <laughs> oh my God, that is yeah. I mean, everybody's getting sick. Yeah, it's crazy. I am 
I'm not convinced that my that my son didn't give give me COVID like from daycare. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I because mean, seems... he's been a snot box for like <laughs> you know several several days. Um, totally. And seems he's like a likely. Like, yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. But Jen, my my wife has it uh, now too, and she's like kind of on the up and up but it's it's so funny it's so weird how like the uh the symptoms are it's just like okay here's your schedule here's your scheduled symptoms and it's gonna go like this and it's go like this and then you're gonna think you're fine and then we're gonna hit you with this it's really really, it's so strange it's so so strange oh man but anyway you know it's not it's not rare anymore so uh, i remember um, when my wife was in, um, when my wife was pregnant, her OB, this was when like COVID was just starting and and everything. And she was like, yeah, everybody's going to get it. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I yeah. couldn't believe she said it. She's like, yeah, that's just the way that these, it, everyone's going to get it because <laughs> yeah. it's like past the point and no return, you know? Oh, yeah. And that well, actually like was... comforted me a little bit, but. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it comforts me that it's like so much more moderate now and I'm not yeah. worried about like killing people. <laughs> right. Right. Of course. Yeah. That's like a big, big plus. <laughs> Did you tour at all? Did you play out um, at all during COVID? I know that you've been doing mostly producing and, and engineering and stuff like that. But. Yeah, no, I haven't. Um, I've done zero, I think. Uh, fortunately I've been busy enough in the studio and in this room that, um, that's been all good, sort of my natural progression anyway, but no, I mean, it, you know, it keeps bubbling up. I, I mostly, as you know, like tour with Josh. So, um, <laughs> you know, there, it keeps the good discussion keeps bubbling up and then something like Delta happens or Omicron happens and then it kind of gets, <laughs> but like, he's all done, right. Maybe we'll wait. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think for the band stuff, just because, there's a concern with like the bigger and bigger, the, the more personnel on the road, the more risk there is, you know, but he's done True. some solo stuff and I think it's gone pretty well, especially in the, in the pockets of less, less concern. Um, yeah. Cause yeah. then you can like mitigate your risk. And I, and I would think that as like a solo artist going out on your own and being like, all right, well, I don't want to risk other people around me getting sick and then eventually going home to their families and getting them sick and that's yeah. A whole, uh, yeah. How how big of a you know when you go out with Josh, how big of like a touring party is is it? Is there like crew? Or, like what? How does it work? Yeah, I mean, there's it's not huge in comparison to some, but I mean, there's five in the band, and then there'd be like three or four crew, I guess. Uh, yeah. And then I guess you consider the bus driver in that scenario. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. So, you know, maybe there's nine, nine of us or 10 of us. So um, it's just a question of like, okay. I mean, I heard a, a story of a, a band that a friend is in and their merch guy got COVID. So how do you advertise that? Like who, whoever has come to a show in the last several weeks and gotten close to buying something like. <laughs> I mean, it's almost wash, worse. Wash right? your merch. Wash your merch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but I, I do miss it for sure. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, you know, you must, it must be like an itch you want to scratch at some point. It's going to feel oh. good. I remember the first time going back out after COVID started, like, it felt really good to be out there. It's like a caution, but yeah, it, it felt great. 
I felt that way about going to some shows. Like I, it's not something I thought I was really craving. And then there was this set of events that led me to be able to see one of my favorite bands and see some friends bands. I saw like maybe three or four shows in the course of 10 days. And I, I loved it. It was like, so I was so surprised how much I felt like I missed it once I was actually there seeing music, you know? Yeah. It's like, um, you forget how important being around other people is. Yeah, totally. Until you do it. Who'd you go see? Uh, I went to see Spoon oh, yeah. uh, at the Portland State Theater. Uh, I saw a Josh show. I saw one of his solo shows. Uh, and what else was that little stint? I think I went to Passim to see something. I'm blanking at the moment. Passim's but, a special place. That and that was was that like a limited capacity thing? Because it's such a small room, you know. I'm not sure. It it's it's already kind of like a seated, somewhat space thing, but. I think it was in one of those pockets where they were back. It was, you know, this is before Omicron and uh, right. I think even before Delta and stuff. So there was like um, a sweet, a sweet pocket of like there was like safe, safety net in there. Like we're we're good. It's like exactly. Right, af- right after they announced that anyone that's vaccinated should feel safe to now wear a mask or be in like any public place. Like as soon yeah. as they said that, it was like all bets were off. <laughs> Yeah, you know? there were people that took advantage of it, and there were people that sure. like missed the window. I think you know. <laughs> yeah, so. I definitely did not miss the window. Like we started, <laughs> we started our fall tour, like some end of summer touring, but then our fall tour started, and we were in the <clears throat> this. This is like super safe. We're super happy to be out here again, and everyone's really excited. And then like we started slowly getting like news of like oh Omicron, what is that? Right. And then, and then we ended our touring year like right before. It felt very much like March 2020 when we were out on the road, and then we ended up having to cancel our last like few shows. Yeah. Um, so we ended up like just squeaking in the last show of the year and oh, uh, nice. which was great. But right after that, everybody got sick. It was just like, whoosh, yeah. you know, oh, man. yeah, it just hit everybody. So hopefully this, everyone who's going to get it gets it. And then there's like, you know, we can kind of move, move forward, but who knows? It's been yeah. two years. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, that's a good point. I, I, I have faith that there'll at least be another die down after the peak in a couple of weeks, but. Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely an element of like, okay, in some ways, this is never going to end. It's just a question of how we sort of adapt to it. Yeah, yeah. So how often are you getting up to Maine and doing actual tracking? Uh, a lot right now. I, the Actually, the winter is turning out to be busier than it ever has been. I, I think that's partially due to, um, you know, I go through kind of waves of allowing other engineers to use it. <laughs> Sometimes I feel okay. like it's too like stressful for me, but there's a couple now that I really trust who are familiar with the place that are starting to book it. And that, that's cool. Um, I like the place to be used, you know, what makes it um, stressful for you? Is it, is it, uh, having people in there that you, you're not familiar with, or is it just like you being up there all the time working with a bunch of different people? It's like, no, no, no. I mean, the only stressful element for me is when uh, I'm not there and there are people that aren't familiar with the place up there and like text me a bunch of questions. Because it's, as you, as you know, it's kind of like a unique setting. And so uh, in both. It's an incredibly unique setting. It's, it's, (laughs) it's beautiful. It's beautiful. We'll talk a lot more about that. But yeah, it's, uh, it's great. Thank you. But to answer your question, I'm, I'm up there a lot right now and actually 
also just started a little bit of a renovation project up there, um, which is exciting. Um, so it's it's busy, which is good. I'm kind of constantly ba- bouncing back and forth between making records or making music up there and finishing it here. Um, and then putting great... on your tool belt and, and nailing some nails and renovating. I, I, I wish I trusted myself with that stuff, but I don't. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask you, are you doing it? Yeah. <laughs> there are far better qualified people. I would just, I would do a terrible job and obsess over it and spend way too much time. And it'd be like seven years later and it looked terrible. <laughs> you're, you're a smart man. You're a smart man. I know my uh, limits. <laughs> what are you, uh, what are you doing? Is it, are you adding anything on or what, what kind of renovation, uh, there is a it's it's a kind of even if you've been there which you have it might be hard to remember but there's sort of an attached barn which is mostly unfinished space um is the barn the barn is the live room area right so no that the barn is the other side of the house you actually when you walk in the house there's a little bit of utility room and technically speaking you're in the barn and that's the only finished space of that whole building gotcha um but the rest of it is all unfinished barn space and i'm converting that into like a whole other living space like um its own like bathroom kitchenette sort of like quarters um that will have many different helpful roles um yeah that's awesome just to be able to spread out more and stuff yeah it's i mean it's such a it's such a cool place and um you know when did you, when did you acquire Great North Sound? Like, like when did, is that a house that was like in your family, or or did you, did you just find this cool spot? Like, it's it's up there. It's like really, yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's out of uh, when I when, I remember when I was driving up there, I was like, where am I right now? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, thank God for That's Google a- Maps. <laughs> well, yeah, actually I have to I had to drop a GPS point because even Google Maps gets it wrong by about a half a mile. Oh, um, oh really? Yeah, I don't know. I should I should reach out to them. Uh, <laughs> Listen, Google. Uh totally. Uh I got it in 2006. Uh very uh, kind of feels, feels like a very long time ago. I was moving out of a house with a bandmate and into an apart a smaller apartment. Um, and I just thought it would be cool. I wasn't even thinking like recording studio at the time. I just knew that I would probably end up on the East coast and it would be really cool to have like a music space. And originally I was looking around between Boston and New York because I, I've spent a lot of time in New York. I went to school there. I love it there. And, um, still have a lot of connections there, but I just couldn't find anything I could afford that, you know, that I thought was cool enough and big enough because I have a lot of large instruments Um, I did spend a lot of time in Maine growing up. So as soon as I started looking in there and inland from the water, I found all these cool old vibey farmhouses. And, um, just like the second I walked into that one, I knew it was the right one because it didn't really make sense for anyone other than me. I mean, it was just kind of a pile of rooms and the appliances were in random spots. And I was like, yes, this is the place. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, yeah, that's how, that's how I found it. And then quickly it snowballed into a recording studio, I think, uh, faster than I would have thought, um, which is great, you know, and sort of constantly always working in it and on it at the same time. How quickly would you say you you turned it around into like a working recording studio where you're like making money and making records and stuff? It's a good question. I mean, I would say maybe 
maybe two or three years. Like that's quick. Yeah, I mean, I had so I had you know a lot of instruments up there, and my thought was like, oh yeah, you know, you could bring a laptop up here. Like you know, at that time, M boxes were a thing, like the first yeah. two channel. Uh, audio interface and so like, I'll bring my inbox up here and make some demos write some songs you know um, and that was like oh yeah but it'd be cool if you know there was a set of speakers up here the whole time and then you know a month later well it'd be cool if we had a couple more mic preamps up here you know <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of like very quickly fell off the deep end that way um, and In- uh, instruments and gear are a lot like tattoos I don't have any tattoos uh, but what I hear <laughs> is that it's once you get one, it just snowballs and you just yeah, keep, yeah. keep going and going and going and going. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so the first, I would say the first few records felt like we were inhabiting a space that wasn't obviously a recording studio prior to, and right. that was kind of really romantic and fun. And, um, and then, uh, so, it, and, and we supplemented with a lot of gear and a lot of personnel to like make it happen you know i wasn't really even engineering at the time so i would hire you know friends to engineer albums and but you know pretty quickly it turned into something that started uh happening on the reg (laughs) now when you were in new york at nyu and you left there did you you started playing with josh directly out of college yeah i actually uh i started playing in josh's band uh, my junior and senior year of college uh, and started touring with him a little bit. Um, and a- actually, as I was sitting in my graduation ceremony, got the email that uh, they could like afford for me to come out to uh, France to be on the first album that I was uh, playing on for him. So it was such a perfect uh, timing, really. What an like, opportunity. Re- yeah, like I basically graduated and hit the road. And and that's why I moved out of New York is because I was never home. <laughs> I was like well, that, it doesn't make sense to <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of where I was where I was getting like did that opportunity since it happened when you were in college in New York give you the opportunity to be like, "Hey, I can escape to this other place where I can afford to to live the way that I want to live and also play with this international act." You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you know, Josh was at the sort of still the beginning of his career at that point. So, <clears throat> although the like the volume was really high in terms of a, amount of gigs, it's not like I was really getting paid a hell of a lot. So the clear choice that I saw was I could hit the road with him and keep a New York apartment and try to get some other higher paying gigs when I'm home or something that I don't really like, or I could move to Boston where. Uh, they all lived, and coincidentally, I'm from, and like, you know, focus on pl- playing the music I want to play, really, and that's right. what I did, and um, and I, I I'm still there now. It's so like a, a lot of musicians get hung up with the where am I going to go after college? Am I going to go to New York? Am I going to go to L.A.? Am I going to go to Nashville? And it's and it's um, I admire what you did because it's it's not the norm. It's not the norm where you have, obviously you had this great opportunity to get in with early in the career of, of a wonderful artist. Um, but knowing that you could go and be comfortable and be happy doing that and, and, and be happy being self self sustaining really, and not have to rely on, 
on finding and like seeking out these other gigs and being a sideman for sideman for like a million other people, which is, I mean, I know people that do it and, and they're incredibly talented and they play a lot. They play a lot of different stuff and it makes them grow as musicians and everything. Nothing against any of that. But I really yeah. think, I really think that, um, you know, the people that can kind of look within themselves and, and make themselves happy, uh, by doing their, th- their own thing and finding their own place in the world is really is a really special thing that's that's like you know and i'll get more into great north sound and like how and and your approach of recording which is which is different than than what i have experienced as a session musician in the past Mm. um not not in many different ways but in in key particular ways um but like the fact that you are the main mass guy makes makes you like makes it really cool. <laughs> you know, oh, I mean? you think so? That's, that's, I've definitely I do. never thought of it that way. I and mean, I that's, wonder, that's cool. I wonder if you think like this is lame. I live in in you know, I'm going back to where I'm from. You know, I feel I live in Rhode Island, and I live in Rhode Island, and I absolutely 100 percent think sometimes I'm like. Man, I should be in Nashville. I should be in New York. I should be in LA or something like. I'm missing opportunities. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. not growing. You know, yeah. I I absolutely 100% feel that way. Um, uh-huh. But when I look around at my family and and know that you know my parents are down the, down the street and and I know right. that I'm I'm trying to like build something on my own and not, um, you know that that holds a lot more value than being kind of in in the rat race. Yeah, you know, it's a, they're weird decisions to make, especially when you're 23, you know, like, oh, I mean, yeah. I think you make them really quickly and because you don't have a choice. And, right. you know, for me, I was like, well, I mean, the, you have to prioritize, right? And the priority for me was playing and making the music that I want to make and not playing and making the music that I don't want to make. Right. And so I definitely, to this day, have some Similar thoughts as as you were describing. Like I, I I still go to New York a lot, and I there's so many things I really miss about it, and I love about it. I'm so comfortable there. I know so many people there, but um, my solution to that is I just I just try and go a lot. Yeah, I mean we're <laughs> because, close. It's not like we're that far away yeah. from it, and you can go to all your favorite. You know, if you have a favorite bar or favorite restaurant that you like to go to, like you can, there's nothing saying you can't go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? totally, totally. And, I, you know, one of the thoughts I I, ha- I don't have when I'm there is like, oh, man, I really wish I lived, I lived here right now because I just, I also love having a parking spot. Yes. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. I, I know that sounds a little... Um, bougie but um you know <laughs> i love how the idea of having a parking spot is bougie because like you know you and i are familiar with the new england winters and like me, yeah totally. I, I lived in boston for so long like i had my my parking spot lawn chair or my my, <laughs> yeah. my uh oh you're one of those guys yeah no. <laughs> i would never <laughs> dude i i have witnessed so many like Almost fist fights because I know, of, I because know. of parking spaces. But yeah. you remember 2015, the winter of 2015, where it, yeah. every in February, every weekend, it snowed like three feet. Yeah, it was every crazy. every Monday, I could count on. I didn't have a parking spot. I wasn't a bougie guy, you know. Yeah, I was living on Chestnut Hill Ave in Brighton, and I would walk down, uh, you know, my fourth floor walk up 
we had a elevator, but it was like from the twenties and I'd never liked using it. Um, <laughs> it was one of those ones where it had like the cage and the door and you had to open it yourself and close it. Yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was actually, it was very cool looking, but, uh, it's scary. Um, anyway, so mon- any, every Monday in February, I'd had to walk down and shovel like three feet of snow plus whatever the, the, uh, plows had packed in against my driver door. Oh um, man. Yeah. Man, it was a disaster. Yeah. So like if, if someone came in and like took that spot as I was pulling up the spot that I spent hours and hours every <laughs> week shoveling, I might do something I regret. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Yeah. It's so, oh my God. It's, it's <laughs> such a weird environment that so many people in the country just don't understand. <laughs> and Absolutely. will never have to deal with. Absolutely. Good yeah. for them. Good for them. I- I can't get into that. I can't, you know, when I lived in Brooklyn, it was like I had to move my car twice a week per side for two hours for street cleaning. I was like, um, I don't, I, I can't do that. And I, I don't want to have a car. I just have to. But right. like, you know, I'm not, I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> Where in Brooklyn were you living? As I, whenever, uh, whenever I would go visit Dan, he was in uh, Park Slope and I would have to do the same thing on like Monday mornings or something. Yeah, I was close. I was in Prospect Heights, yeah, which um, has come a long way now. But yeah. Um, yeah, I loved it. It was great. Yeah. I, um, you know, and getting back to, you know, so college and um, finding, finding like the thing you want to do. So you were, you were a jazz major, right? That's a, right. Yeah. Jazz, jazz performance. Jazz performance, piano. Yeah. So now what was the, did you take any interest in engineering or recording or anything like that when you were there? Or is that something that sparked up while you were there after you left or how, you know, yeah, how did that work? No, I, I really didn't. Um, I didn't take any engineering or production courses in college. It was, it was all performance stuff. Um, and I feel like, I mean, it's a little bit of a unique path, I guess. I mean, I think I've I've been sort of like a jazz lover since I was about nine years old. And it's such a great, you know, whether you do or do not like uh, jazz, it's obviously very polarizing. But I think uh, everyone would agree it's like a great basis for a lot of other music, for understanding a lot of other music. And so whatever the music is, I feel like I feel so grateful to have such a background and and that music just because it gives me a quicker understanding and a sort of a broader understanding of any other music. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't do anything, any, uh, uh, sort of technical stuff in college. Um, it was really only after I graduated and started playing on a lot of records and, um, I would start to have ideas for the records I was playing on just as a keyboard player that sort of were dependent on how they sounded. And I sort of started, I sort of like described how I wanted it to sound to some producers. Um, And a few producers really encouraged me to sort of consider production, which I never thought about because I always assumed that um, I needed to have some kind of engineering education. Um, And a really good friend of mine now, Brian Deck, who's a really fantastic producer, made the point of like, well, you can, that stuff you can learn along the way. It's the other stuff that, that you just seem like you is coming to you pretty naturally and have uh, interest in, and that's the stuff that like 
is harder to learn, but the technical stuff you can like learn. And um, I'll I'll always be thankful for his sort of nudging me to to try and get into that. And that's that's how I fell into it, really. Yeah, and it's kind of what I was talking about before with your approach. You can tell that you came from that your instincts are more about let's get let's find the interesting sound and let's let's try some you know if that sounds cool like let's just go with it let's not worry about um let's not worry about this technical aspect or like you know if we're going to use the xy pattern or, you know, i'm just thinking of some weird weird example <laughs> but we're gonna like if this sound is working and it's in some interesting thing like maybe that's that's the vibe or that's the sound we're going to, the, the trail we're going to follow here. And that was a big thing when, um, I was recording with you and Dan and, and Zach, um, that was always kind of my instinct too, is to just be like, let's just use what works and let's not try to box ourselves in with a bunch of rules. And, um, you know, things can be EQ, things can be figured out, but let's like find, let's find the cool, let's find what this thing really wants to be and let's get a performance. Let's get a really great performance and, uh, and figure that part out because that's the part that's hard to do, you know? Totally. Uh, um, yeah. and I think, you know, Dan and I had conversations about it afterwards and during and uh with your studio it's it's nothing but vibe it's i mean (laughs) i recorded drums in an attic with a bunch of bees behind me you know (laughs) sorry about that and and it sounded it sounds fantastic i going back and listening to that ep is is one of my favorite things to go back and listen to that that i've recorded on because oh cool man thank you yeah man because you you provide such a natural vibe and just like um you know kind of like let's find this path of least resistance and let's not get hung up on on the technical aspect and we'll capture it you know you have the know-how to capture things the right way but that's that's so far secondary than than like getting a cool vibe and performance yeah i mean i you know there's there's really no such thing as perfection right and if you embrace that then like you say, like you, you, if, if a spark happens, you can't second guess it. And there's definitely technical things to look out for. But um, I think that maybe that's one of the, the benefits I have is without being school taught and a lot of that stuff is that there isn't like a clear step by step instruction book to record a drum set or whatever. And um, right. obviously that comes with its own insecurities. But, you know, um, yeah, uh, vibe is key for sure. Yeah, and and I will say that you definitely inspired Dan for his future recordings because the next one he did at Mark's um, cabin in in Stockbridge, and uh, and it, it same thing, man. It, it was just like you could tell that he found a balance between the approach of of capturing things the proper way and and getting a great sound and also not letting that thing hold you back from your creative process and 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 not saying no to some interesting sound that might be cool yeah Um, you know not and and i also experienced this too in in the last recording that i did with i took that approach and uh with the last recording i did with 
Carbon Leaf. Oh, cool. And the, yeah, and the guitar player, uh, Carter, you know, was he has beautiful instruments, like guitar, like beautiful guitars. He's tons of amazing instruments. And um, on one of the songs, like we use like one of the like the shittiest sounding <laughs> like <laughs> weird things because it just it worked it worked with yeah with the thing that we were doing and it's it's a good lesson to learn that not always um you know the most expensive most bougie thing is is the right thing for any for a particular situation you have to you have to open yourself up uh for knowing what's appropriate when you know absolutely yeah it's incredibly true. I mean, it's like um, sometimes, especially engineers, get lost in the pursuit of fidelity. You know, everything needs to be clear all the time. Just kind of you lose uh, depth that way in contrast, which is mm-hmm. like, which is so important. Not everything has to be a huge deal, but you want a, a, a variation of colors. Um, yeah. Do you have any one particular, like you said that... Um, that that was just kind of your natural approach to music and, you know, having that, that, um, creative, like openness to different sounds and trying different things. Do you have a particular session or experience that you feel kind of brought, brought those two worlds together where you could really apply that and you kind of like, it kind of clicked for you where you, where you knew how to apply it in a recording setting? Um, the two worlds being which, the two worlds being like the creative, we're going to find this vibey sound and also like I'm now a recording engineer and I need to like do this the right way. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, it would probably just um, because of my path be some of the earliest ones, right? Okay. Like right, right. I'm really, um, you know, being, feeling, you know, very excited and adventurous. I mean, I, I still am so lucky to absolutely love everything I work on. I kind of like tell people that I'm like just barely lucky to only work on music I like. And that's so awesome. But, um, I guess it would probably be some of the first, some of the first recordings I worked on up there. Um, some records with like, uh, Langhorn Slim and the first record I worked on with Josh Ritter up there called uh, The Historical Conquests of Josh Ritter um, what a great was name. sort of a um, very conscious deviation from what he'd done previously. Um, and, you know, just the idea that there might be a song of his on a record where he, where there was no acoustic guitar. Mm. was kind of like a, a big jump for him. Um, and so that sort of process and even just kind of continuing to compose the songs in the studio um, was a little bit new for him and me with him, you know, like, and so I think that was really the um, the springboard for so many more other processes like that. And, and you know, the one you're talking about with Dan is is not unlike that either. You're taking a song and constantly sort of questioning what really needs to be there. What what it, what is essential and what's not essential and what's the vibe of the song and let's make sure that no one is doing anything because they're on automatic. You know, as right. soon as I sense that someone is on automatic when they're in a performance, whether it's a drummer or a singer or whatever, I can I I, I can feel it and I 
call it out <laughs> and I try to customize it to that song or that artist more. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, that's a great way to put it is someone's on automatic because I have, I mean, I am so, it's mo- more in a live sense where, where you're like, Oh man, I'm just doing the same thing all the time. And then you, you really have to make an effort to spice things up and make things special again for you. Um, and I imagine being in the recording setting is like, you know, not falling into the same devices that you normally fall into for different, multiple different artists and, and stuff like that. Especially if you're working with, <coughs> excuse me, like <coughs> COVID's got me. Um, <laughs> especially if you're uh, working with someone like Josh Ritter, who I'm sure in, I don't know him personally, but like, I'm sure in his own sense is, is a very creative and artistic person, you know, to be a singer Absolutely. Like, like that and wanting to reinvent himself. I'm sure during every, every opportunity that he, that he gets moving on from the last thing he did and trying something different in the new thing. Um, how, how many times or how many, uh, records have you done with Josh up at great North? Um, we, let's see, I've, I've produced three full-length records for him, and then I think a few EPs, like Bits and Bobs, but there were three full albums. Wow. Um, awesome. all, all of which, um, I mean, it's easy for me to say, but all of which I think are very different, um, uh, or the, they, they were meant to be very different <laughs> from each other. Right. Um, which I always kind of uh, thought was interesting about Josh and, and my relationship with him is that a lot of artists sort of try to constantly pursue an artistic direction and refine it and refine it and refine it over the course of several albums. Um, and he was just always fired up to do a different thing. And right. um, obviously that's exciting for me. What um, what kind of approach would you have if someone, a new artist that you haven't worked with is coming up uh, to record? Would you listen to past stuff? Would you have them send you demos of of what the the songs that they're working on? Would you try to get a good idea of what they're trying to do beforehand, or would you assess when they got there and kind of played you the tunes and you know saw where yeah. it was going to go? Yeah, I spend an ungodly amount of time uh, on demos and reference tracks and talking to the artist uh way before we hit the studio yeah and there's two reasons i do that i mean i think the the obvious reason is to get a feel for who they are and where they come from and how i can sort of help um sort of like carve it out into who they are even more which is usually a very unique authentic thing and Mm -hmm. how i can help them sort of do that but the other reason is just to develop trust because you know um as as you've kind of outlined a little bit like i was a musician long before i was a producer so i come to the table with a lot of musical ideas and um i the worst possible thing would be if i didn't really know someone and just threw all these crazy ideas at them and they were foreign to them and there wasn't really enough trust there I feel like that's the most important thing in, in probably any artistic collaborative process is trust, you know, like they're yeah. trusting me and, and I'm, and I'm mm-hmm. trusting them too. So like, um, it's, 
it's one of the things I spend the most time on actually is, and, and that's why I can only take on so many producing sort of jobs a year is because it, I really don't want to sacrifice that time. Yeah. It's like being able to say yes. And rather than have a bunch of pushback when you're in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know I'm, I'm catching up on their whole like musical life. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> and it's in, it's important, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any uh, anyone that you're excited to work with coming up that um, maybe you haven't worked with before, or maybe it's a maybe it's a new approach on on an artist that you have worked with before, anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, this week I'm mixing um, a first couple songs I worked with uh, with an artist named uh, Louise, Louisa Stanchioff. She actually currently lives currently lives in Maine, oh, cool. um, and she's just an amazing artist. Um, this will be, I think, her first like solo um, release, and it's just been like an instantly good fit creatively. And so far, one of the unique things about it is so far we, the two of us, have have played and recorded everything. Um, bass, drums, guitar, keyboards. Um, and that's been a really fun process. I'm, that's awesome. We're thinking about continuing that. But we're, we're going to work on some more stuff, I think, this winter. Um, so that's that's really that's really cool. I'm also working with a, a band called Kings of Ghost Town here from Boston, which is basically two guys from two other touring bands. Um, and that's been really fun. Uh, so they were the two king guys in what is now a bunch of ghosts of people from their former bands. Hey, maybe that is where the name, I should ask them if that's where the name comes from. You should. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that came to me immediately because wow. I was like, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I've left a lot of bands that people aren't playing music anymore. And, you know, <laughs> well, go, one of them ghosts is still of their in former selves. Fair enough. One of them is still in the other band. So, uh, I'll have to verify that. Yeah. Yeah. You should. You should. <laughs> um, Interesting. Um, yeah, and some always some more like composing stuff too, which is really fun. I'm working on a film score next week, um, and uh, that that I love that because it's like an excuse to write music from the ground up with really no pretense. You know, it's so exciting. When you're doing something like that, do you do you write it to any kind of? Uh, I I don't I know pretty much nothing about film scoring and how that all works. And I'm, I'm always curious if like you're writing to some kind of visual. Or if it's like a written, you know, synopsis, or if it's a specific thing that uh, that they want, it's probably a little bit of all those things. But um, yeah, you know. yeah, it, for me, it is a mix. You know, there's sometimes where there's a piece of score where it really, you know, something really needs to happen when a door closes or something. Right. And you definitely write to picture there. But there's also like, you know, if there's a couple general themes. Um, uh, or, you know, you can just kind of work a little bit more abstractly and then fine tune it to picture. It can, it can be all, I mean, the thing next week, uh, we're recording a bunch of songs by artists and those kind of intertwine with some more score based stuff, I think. So it can, it can be so many different ways. Who, uh, what, what kind of films are they? Are they, um, you know, indie films? Are they feature films? What, what kind so, of... So far for me, uh, it's just been documentaries. It's, it's oh, The cool. film scoring thing is fairly new to me, um, relatively. Um, so it's been mostly documentaries for me and some fun ad stuff. Um, cool. But uh, next week will be a documentary about a, 
a Maine-based uh, sports team changing their mascot. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> what? Which Maine sports team? Um, you know, I don't have the town and name in my head at this moment. I actually have a meeting in an hour with director and my co-composer. Um, she, she, this is Molly from uh, the band Lula Wiles, um, who oh, cool. is doing most of it, and and I'm helping her out. Um, some of this with the scoring piece and the producing piece um and so um i think many of the details i'll be filled in on in, in an hour but um, that's fa- that's uh fascinating i'm very i'm very curious as to why they had to change their mascot and oh was- yeah well it was an indigenous based team name gotcha and um you know, it's it's something that's happening all over now where uh, names of schools, names of sports teams, you know, realizing that maybe it's not the right, <laughs> not the right call or or NFL teams, you know, whatever. Right. So um, it'll be really fun to work on. So I think Molly and I are recording a bunch of indigenous artists uh, next week at, at Great North that are Wabanaki um, and intertwining that with some more like uh, soundscapey stuff, and so it sounds really exciting to me. That's really, man, that's really cool. You forget, you you know, a lot of people don't realize that things like that happen, like super interesting paths towards where the recordings come from, or or how they happen. Like that's a really yeah. cool, that's a really cool one. Like a documentary about a sports team, and just show, like that would that would never happen. You know, you would never get to do that kind of session. Um, you know, with indigenous people, like. Uh, you know, five years ago, ten years ago. Yeah, you know? it's like no, it's, I think it's, that's right, and it, uh, it's it's fortunately like a great, it, it's such a great opportunity for me to sort of learn about something and sort of quote unquote do do the work, do a little work, but also do it through my job, you know, right. and do it through uh, a very you know a, a passion of mine, obviously, which is music. So it's like t- t- you know s- sort of using something that I. I'm confident at to learn more about something else. And that's, that, you know, that's awesome. So now where does uh, photography fall on the scale of your, of your uh, <laughs> loves? And cause I mean, I've seen some of your shots and it's cool. Like you do a lot of stuff oh, with, with, with film and, and um, it's interesting. Photography is something that I got really, really into over the pandemic. It's something that I've always been very interested in, but always had uh, friends that were so talented at it that it made me feel inferior all the time. So I just basically, <laughs> I basically just stopped even talking to those people or looking at any of their stuff. And now I just, I just go, you know, nice. vision. I just try yeah. as far as I can because I love it. I love it so much. And I'm just kidding. It's yeah. Incredible. Whatever motivates you, man. Yeah. No, yeah. I... Uh, photography has kind of always been in my life a little bit because my dad was um, and still is a, a collector of photography, a lover of photography. He takes great pictures. Um, the studio is actually filled with uh, a lot of his pictures from the 70s from all over the world. And um, so it's kind of always been there. Um, and then my interest in actually taking photographs has... Uh, it's in a long cycle now, but it, you know, traveling, you know, touring, it's such a great thing to do while you're touring. And, um, and, uh, especially it's also a great thing to do during the pandemic, you know, like really digging in deeper to that process and everything. 
Um, so I really enjoy it. I also find just countless parallels between uh, taking a photograph and uh, producing music. I mean, I think about that like all the time. So in some ways it's like half escapism and I can do something that doesn't involve music, but more often than not, I'm thinking about the like infinite parallels like that to, to consider when taking a photograph, framing a photograph that that I think about when I'm producing music. It's like the same, it's like the, literally the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I and, and I completely understand that and and kind of see that parallel um do you when you're making music do you hear stuff or do you visualize things and like in a certain way like what would this sound or what would this song look like in a photograph kind of thing like because i i i've seen you know a few a few of your shots and it and it looks like how your records sound from Great North. Whoa, that's amazing, really? I think so. I mean, that's <laughs> that's like subjective, but you know, you have you have the kind of a matte a matte finish and everything's a little bit cool and and uh um uh, like cooler and temperature-wise and and uh -huh. it has a uh it definitely has a um I'm up in the north and we're we're making a thing kind of vibe. Uh -huh. You cool. know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. and that's what that's one reason why I wanted to ask you about your your uh, passion for photography too because cuz I do like your music and I and I'm just kind of pulling from what I from my experience working with you. Like that vibe um sounds how your your shots have looked to me, the ones that I've seen. Oh, cool. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I only recently, relatively recently, got interested in actually taking photographs of people. I got this medium format camera that the lens is just was known to be good for that. So I was yeah. psyched to try it out and started to enjoy taking photographs of a lot of the people that that I record up there, which is kind of a fun, fun thing. But yeah, I mean, you know, in so far as like when I'm making music, thinking about what should sort of be in focus and what shouldn't purposely. You know, what should be dark? What should be light? What should be uh, sharp or or far away and close? Foreground, background. I mean, that's it's like the same things I think about when I'm recording music. And in in, in terms of visualizing it, I, I guess I do kind of like think about okay, I'm recording a piano part, but obviously I don't want this to sound so close. I want it to be like way far back right. because all this other stuff is going on that's really close. You know, there's so many things I think about in, in both scenarios, both mediums that are like, for me, like exactly the same thing. Yeah, that's really, it's, it's a very interesting way of looking at it because, <clears throat> you know, I feel like a lot of uh, amateur recordings and, and, and stuff fail to separate the different instruments and, uh, you know, put them in their own space. You know what I mean? Everything is just kind yeah. of there. there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, mixing fixes a lot of that. But if you approach it that way when you're trying to capture it, it makes a world of a difference. Man, well, I don't want to keep you. I know you have a meeting that you have coming up um, for your for your documentary. This was really a blast. I'd like to leave some space to, to talk in the future again. Sounds great, man. Yeah, I mean, I've heard so much of it. It's it's really awesome to listen to, especially when not a lot of gigs are actually happening. <laughs> I know. So, so great that's work. Been <laughs> that's been a challenge, you know, yeah. early on before the pandemic, it, you know, it was 
every week. It was hard to schedule people because it was it was so much. And now that there's a, a little bit of like a melancholiness to how artists speak about music now because they, there's just this unsure vibe of whether they're going to be able to do it again. You know, I know so many people yeah. that have that have just you know moved on to something else and and don't do it because it's like it's been a hard couple of years for people yeah. that that rely on you know playing the bar gigs in boston and and aren't getting a bunch of studio work or don't have a studio lockdown and stuff like that so it's yep. um it's really difficult for people but now it seems like there's a, a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel and um yeah. and uh it's it's getting back into it but thank you so much i'll uh, i'll talk All to right. you soon okay bye and that is it. That's my conversation with Sam Kasserer. Please check out his stuff. He'll be on the road with Josh Ritter and definitely go see him when he comes around. As always, you can email into the podcast at afterthegigpod at gmail.com and check out the Patreon. My wife Genevieve and I are doing live stream podcasts every month on there for patrons only and it's really 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 fun so go there consider signing up and uh yeah yeah that is it enjoy the music and i will see you next week bye getting ready to get down getting ready to get down getting ready to get down now people cross the street when you walk in their direction Talk between the teeth and throw an epithets And the doctor thinks the devil must have got you by your senses But to live the way you please doesn't sound like possession It's four long years studying the Bible Infidels, Jezebel, Salomas and Delilahs Back off the bus in your own hometown Say so you didn't like but then you probably won't like me now But I, I'm getting ready to get down I'm getting ready to get down I'm getting ready to get down all the men of the country club, the ladies of the Zillary talking about love like it's apple pie and liberty to really be a saint. You gotta really be a virgin, dry as a page of the King James Version. No la las, no hell yes, no I can't wait. So gotta see you again, just turn the other cheek. Take no chances, Jesus hates your high school dances. Off to Bible school, you learned a little more than they had heard was in the golden rule. Be good to everybody, be a strength to the weak, be a joy to the joyful, be the laughter and the grief, and give your love freely to whoever that you please. Don't let nobody tell you about the who you ought to be. And when you get damned in the popular opinion, it's just another damn of the damn you're not given. I'm getting ready to get down, getting ready to get down, getting ready to get down. Mama gotta look at you and got a little worried Papa gotta look at you and got a little worried The pastor gotta look and said, y'all better hurry Send her off to a little Bible college in Missouri And now you come back saying you know a little bit about Every little thing they ever hoped you'd never figure out The bread, see the dead, see the sermon on the mound If you wanna see a miracle, watch me get down now Getting ready to get 